Welcome to the Free Retiree Show. My name is Lee Michael Murphy. I've been in wealth management for the last 10 years right in the heart of the Silicon Valley. People have always asked me, how do I achieve financial independence? And while the financial world wants you to believe it's as simple as investing your money, I'm here to tell you it's a small piece of the puzzle. I've seen four consistent factors in the people that have achieved financial independence. One, they excel in their career. Two, they manage their money properly. Three, they're able to avoid devastating financial mistakes. They can see through the BS. And lastly, they understand they need to learn from the best, the people that have achieved success in their career and their finances. Join us on our journey as we learn how to become free retirees. Hello, hello. Welcome in, boys and girls, to another episode of the Free Retiree Show. I'm your host, Wealth Manager, Lee Michael Murphy, and I'm alongside interview coach and Silicon Valley veteran, Sergio Patterson. What is up, everyone? For all y'all that have been listening to us, you know that we have four main pillars to our show. We generally talk about advancing your career, managing your money, avoiding the big failures, and we talk about the people that have achieved success in our business and thought leader edition. For today's episode, we're going to be doing a duo. We're going to talk about a career advancement topic, and we have a business and thought leader interview coming on. So for today, we're going to be talking about how to grow your business and personal brand on LinkedIn with internationally known speaker, Michaela Alexis. Michaela is a LinkedIn trainer, coach, LinkedIn learning instructor. She's been featured on CNBC, success.com, BuzzFeed, and many more. She's a two-time LinkedIn learning author with a third course of production. She's the co-author of a book, Think Video, Smart Video Marketing and Influencing. And she's worked with brands like Walmart, Crown Plaza, and she's even starred in a shoe campaign with K-Swiss. Serge, high school, K-Swiss. The white K-Swiss is, man. Oh, my with the, gosh. With the blue jeans. Oh, my gosh. That was my jam. We had them. We yeah. both had them, I think. Yeah, that's what I thought it was cool. I don't know if I can pull that off anymore. I got to ask Michaela. Like, if K-Swiss is making a comeback. Gary V put out something with K-Swiss. Well, obviously, they're they making Ma- a comeback. They got, they got Michaela. So, yeah, this of is course true. they're coming back. Yeah, who's Gary V? They got Michaela. Michaela won Gary V too. And on top of this interview, Michaela has done amazing things in the entrepreneurial space. She came from this agency, had the big fancy corner office, and she gave it all up because she wanted to follow her passion follow her heart, see where she could help the most people. And now she's got her own business. She travels all around the world and she's paid to speak at major events. So it's just a really cool story. So I'm interested to hear about that. But Serge, how are you feeling about this interview? Yeah, super excited. I think understanding her journey and seeing everything she's done on LinkedIn, a platform that we're both passionate about and that's helping other people. I think it was a no brainer to try to get her on the show and I'm just happy she joined. Yeah, we're blessed. We're blessed to have this one on. Uh, We're going to go a quick break, but before we do so, make sure you share our show, like us on LinkedIn, Facebook. If you got questions, financial-related, career-related, or a question for Michaela, send them to ask at thefreeretiree.com. We're going to go to a quick break, but when we're back, we'll be sitting down with Michaela Alexis. Welcome back into the Free Retiree Show. We are sitting down with Michaela Alexis. Michaela, how are you doing this morning? I am excited to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, it is a blessing to have you on the show. So I gave the listeners a little rundown about what you do, but why don't you tell Mm -hmm. the listeners in your own words what you're up to? 
So, I mean, really simply said, I help businesses, people, audiences, and companies shine on LinkedIn. So I have experience on both sides. The corporate world, I've been a social media marketing personnel for the last 10 plus years. And then I've also built up my personal brand on LinkedIn. So my secret sauce is really helping people discover and build their personal brand presence on LinkedIn and then help them tie that into how they can build their corporate brand as well. That's awesome. It's fun. Yeah, that sounds exciting. I think let's go back to the beginning. Like, when did you realize that this was your jam? When did you realize that this is what you wanted to do? I mean, I hate the word accidentally because I feel like there's so many interviews that I listened to where it was like overnight or I discovered this by accident. So I try not to say that because I think that there's nothing that's an accident, but I was always attracted to writing. I was a super shy child to the point where my parents thought that I had a learning disability and I really wouldn't talk, but I really became fully myself when I did things like public speaking or I was writing. Like I was at Dork in grade five where I was competing competing in these essay writing competitions because I think you got like a $20 grand prize and for me that was like oh my gosh I'm gonna be rich right and so I would enter all these contests and make money that way and then I would go to the mall and spend it but I was always attracted to writing as I got older, those dreams are kind of shaken out of you, right? You go through the system and they say, okay, that's great that that's what you like to do, but you can't make money doing that. You need to go into something practical like yeah. XYZ. And so throughout school, I just kind of looked at other areas that I could possibly kind of go into. And I did three years in university in film studies before I realized that I live in Ottawa, Canada. And unless I live in like <laughs> Toronto or New York, I'm probably not going to make it again. It's all like a confidence thing and switched over into legal studies and did my degree in legal studies and then realized pretty quickly that that probably wasn't the dream as well. But I think that overall, I was always attracted to this idea of storytelling. Like my favorite part of legal studies, even as crazy as it sounds, was reading the cases. Like I love to hear these stories and then kind of have this like, okay, how did they come to this decision sort of thing? So I was always fascinated with the idea of influence. It kind of seemed like a natural next step for me to fall into marketing. I had no idea what marketing was when I was approached. I was actually bartending for a local pub in Ottawa and they said you're bringing in people that are like half your age every night and I don't know how you're promoting you shouldn't be successful doing this like how are you packing this bar every single night so they brought me in and they were like I think that you'd be really good at marketing and again had no idea what marketing actually was I went really quickly like I was so lucky with my first job because I went from basically being a bartender to managing the social media presence. And back then, social media was considered like, whoa, you're cutting edge if you have a Facebook page. Yeah. And I ran the social media presence for 16 bars and restaurants in the city, but then also was able to do things like they worked with a local radio station, like a really popular radio station. And so I started writing the radio <laughs> ads for this company that I was working for, for these different restaurants. And I would actually do campaigns and voice them so my voice would be on the radio and so I just kind of kept spreading myself even further into the marketing experience and did that for a few years it's a really long story when it comes to marketing but eventually I landed this dream job through LinkedIn and that became its own story on its own and that's the first time I really went viral which was surprising and I hate saying it accidental that's awesome 
you mentioned radio. Is radio still even a thing? I used to listen to radio all the time. Is it just dead? Are they just not a thing anymore? My ego likes to think that radio died when I stopped creating campaigns, but that probably is not even close to the truth. But I think that, again, it always came back to, I love the idea of using content to help people take some sort of action. I loved writing those radio ads and voicing them because it was so cool to not only do it, but then also see the stats, like how many people are creating reservations, how many people are coming into the restaurant because of this campaign. So that was really my first taste of this idea of influence. And I think ultimately led me to discovering personal branding, which again, was one of those accidental things that I stumbled upon on LinkedIn. So Michaela, going to social media, from what I've read about you, you've had actually a campaign that had over 25 million views. Is that correct? Yeah. So that was... How does one even do that? 25 million. You didn't pay for anything. (laughs) (laughs) I think that everything that I've done, and I think what you'll find, especially as you guys continue interviewing people, is that it all stems from this idea of creating something that you wish that you had, that you needed at a certain time that you just created because you needed it. So you're going to give it to other people. When I first started on LinkedIn, my very first viral article was how I landed my dream job in two weeks on LinkedIn. And again, I had been in marketing at that point over a decade and I had never had anything that had even close to that traction. When I say viral, by the way, this was insane. Like I remember putting out the article and within half an hour, I went to open up the LinkedIn app on my phone and it just kept crashing. So I would like try to open it and it would crash. And I was like, okay, well, LinkedIn is glitchy. So maybe there's just something wrong with the app. I go on the desktop version and it did open up, but I don't know. Are you guys like OGs on LinkedIn? Have you been around for a while? (laughs) No, we're new. I'm new. Well, well, Lee is new. I, I am an OG. Okay, so Sergio might remember there used to be a whole bunch of really in-depth stats of how many people visit your profile. You could actually click on it. So there was that section and I would go to that section and that section kept crashing. And I'm like, what the heck is going on? And then I look in the top right corner and the notifications and messages and I'm just getting like thousands of people around the world that are reaching out to me and wanting to connect with me. And so I went from a few hundred to 13,000 connections within a day or two. That as a marketer, my very first thought is like, what about this particular article was resonating with people? And the truth was it was conversational. It was relevant. It was helpful. There was never that intention of I'm going to create this thing and it's going to go viral. It was always about helping other job seekers because I felt like I was like, oh my gosh, I have done things a certain way for such a long time, played by the rules, and it never worked. It was always to the benefit of the employer, but never for the job seeker. And so I felt like I'd stumbled upon this really powerful thing, which I didn't know at the time was personal branding. And here, let me share with you how I made that happen. So that was my first aha moment. And then I started doing more research because I'm a dork when it comes to marketing. And I was like, okay, everybody is telling me that there's a personal and professional self and you never mix the two. And yet I'm looking at the stats and they showed the top three article topics for the year prior. And it was recruiting, which duh, LinkedIn. Sales, duh, LinkedIn. And the third one was self-esteem. And I'm like, this doesn't make any sense at all. We're saying that there's a personal and professional self and yet we're consuming content to make us feel less alone in our struggles. And so that was a huge moment for me because I felt like I had found this gap in the market for somebody that would come in and share 
some of the challenges that I thought other people were experiencing in the work world. That campaign that you mentioned with the 25 or 26 million views was called hashtag let's get honest. It was a very first viral video campaign on LinkedIn when video first came out, where a few friends and I came together and we're like, let's get people to go on camera and share a challenge or vulnerability that they've had to overcome in their career. And at the time, we were like, it'd be cool if one or two people joined in, we just thought it'd be fun. And it might help people kind of get over their BS and really start to excel in their career. Because a lot of times, we're held back by these self-limiting things or these things that we're trying to hide about our story. And that ended up reaching 26 million people. I mean, the CEO of LinkedIn was jumping in talking about how amazing the campaign was. It was by far the most inspiring thing that I've seen on LinkedIn because you could actually see on video the sense of relief when people drop the BS, this thing that they thought was so horrible about themselves. And now they're able to kind of move forward and be successful in whatever they do. That just moment of relief when you let go of some of those dark stories. That was another moment of me that I'm like, this work is so much more important than just building a personal brand and all that stuff is great. But there's so much room for growth in the business world to share these more vulnerable stories. And I'm going to continue doing that work. I'm constantly sharing topics that are making people really uncomfortable. It's almost a hobby for me to now make people uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) You said it, right? That's what people want. They want authenticity and honesty. And since I've been following you, you give the people what they want. You recently posted about, you talk about personal, your IVF treatment. Yeah, I was just like, whoa, like I know a lot of friends who are dealing with that and they keep it so private and close to the vest. So when I saw that, I was like, dang, you are definitely vulnerable, authentic, all the things. So I know that's what people want. (laughs) It always ties back to your career, right? I mean, and that's the key, I think, is to make sure that whatever topic you're including, you're talking about how it's going to affect you as a working professional. So for me, I mean, I've talked about when my dad passed away, because at a certain point, there's like these things that happen to us that change us fundamentally. And it's like, how could I go back to like sharing positive quotes or sharing what client I landed when the person that has influenced me so greatly is not here anymore. For me, that's my gold standard is do I need to tell this story in order to be real and authentic? Or can I leave that for now and come back to it a little bit later? And when it came to IVF, I realized that I'm like, this is going to affect everything that I do. This is going to affect the projects that I take on. This is going to affect my mood, my relationships, all of that stuff. And so I think it's really important in those moments. Plus, just like you mentioned, the amount of people that are going through infertility, that are going through grief, that are going through loss, that are going through chronic illness behind the scenes and feel alone. The thing that I'm most proud of on this planet is when I go into my inbox and people feel free to tell me things that they haven't told their spouses that they haven't Mm. told their family members because I've given them permission by sharing my own story to share theirs as well that's just like such an honor to have those stories that sometimes people haven't told anybody yeah from the content I've seen from you it's just so raw and authentic does your husband ever say hey this is off limits (laughs) hey hey don't post about this um yes all the time uh he's also the opposite of me he's like super quiet very much behind the scenes i'm the complete opposite which i mean i think a lot of strong marriages are like that where you have like the opposites Mm -hmm. there so i'm certainly the more emotional and more open about my emotions 
I think for the most part, he doesn't really read a lot. It's hard, right? Because especially in the beginning, it's not so bad anymore. But when I first started as a creator on LinkedIn, I was really, really going against the grain. Like people didn't share photos of themselves. People didn't share the personal sides of themselves. They were sharing like they got promoted, the awards that they were winning, all of this kind of like service level stuff. And so when I came in, I mean, I got death threats. I had all sorts of horrible things to the point where my husband and my boss at the time had separate interventions saying, I need you to stop posting because they would see some of the stuff and it was just too hard for them to handle. But I felt like in my heart that when you have that type of reaction from somebody, it's usually because you're talking about things that need to be talked about. I mean, sometimes that's not the case, but in my heart, I felt like this is hard now, but I'm hoping that years later, this isn't going to be hard. And it's really wonderful to see now that the culture has changed so much. I mean, the pandemic has also changed the workplace forever, right? We no longer have the ability to say the personal professional self when Sergio is talking about your your kids are knocking on the door, your dogs are crying to go out, right? There's always something that happens during your workday where you are reminded that you're a human and you're reminding other people that you're human beings. And I think that is by far the best thing that's happened I hate saying that, like the pandemic has been horrible for so many people, but that is probably the best thing that's come out of the pandemic is that we have to acknowledge our humanity with each other. One thing we've talked about is the importance of LinkedIn, but let's go to the average individual that maybe they already have a job. Yeah. Maybe they're a company and things are going just fine and they don't have any sort of like brand presence and they're definitely not using LinkedIn or maybe they did a post, it fell on deaf ears and they're like, this platform sucks. And then they left. (laughs) What would you say to those folks? Yeah. So the number one thing I always tell people is, even though it's funny because I used LinkedIn when I needed LinkedIn, but don't use LinkedIn when you need to use LinkedIn. It's kind of like, you know, those friends that hit you up and you're like, oh, like you cringe when you see their name on your phone because it's like, Uh, you know, every time. You just broke up with that person and now you want to talk. Yeah, they want something. You know they want something. (laughs) They want something. And same thing is true for LinkedIn. So if you're only using LinkedIn when you need it, people are going to be like, we haven't even talked in months. There's no relationship there other than you wanting things from me. So that would be my first thing. But the second thing is that people need to wrap their heads around this idea. A, if you haven't been on LinkedIn in a while, please go on LinkedIn because if you were on five or six years ago, the culture has dramatically changed. It's no longer this place just for recruiting and salespeople. It really is the world's largest networking event. There are over 700, I think the last time I saw it was 740 million users on the platform. It's always been this quickly growing giant and it's become more important since the pandemic began. And so whether or not you choose to be on LinkedIn, People are looking at your profile on LinkedIn. Think about that. If you were walking into a room with 740 people, most people are showing up with like a stained t-shirt and dirty jeans. You know what I mean? Like (laughs) when you have a profile that doesn't look good, that isn't optimized, that doesn't reflect your personality and your experience, that's what you're showing up as. And so if you decide last minute that you need a job all of a sudden because you got laid off, which we're all at risk of, of losing our income during this pandemic, you're going to be in hot water because you're trying to go from a dirty t-shirt to a tux, right? I love that. I love that. That makes sense to me. (laughs) Good. So the first thing that I would say is that regardless of where you're at in your career, take the time to optimize your LinkedIn profile and really think of it as like a website or a career museum. Like you want it to look good. Like it needs to be good enough. But the second thing is, is when people talk about creating content, 
I mean, the first thing that I always tell people, because I have people that approach me and they're like, I want to create video on LinkedIn. And, and I ask them, are you converting with your LinkedIn profile? That's number one, right? You need to build that strong foundation. Who are you connecting with? If you're creating content for doctors, well, how many doctors are in your network? Because most of us have had LinkedIn forever, right? I know like my sweet dad, he was the first person to ever write me a recommendation. It was like, Michaela is a wonderful young lady. She was a <laughs> and I'm like, dad, this isn't how it works. But that's the reality. A lot of us started with maybe neighbors, people that we worked with way back in the day. And so when we create content, is it relevant to our current audience or not? And that's number one is to build that audience for the yeah. people that you're trying to attract, because you shouldn't just see people talk about their inbox being filled with recruiters and salespeople. And to me, that's a you problem, not a platform problem, because why are they reaching out to you? They're reaching out to you because your profile is not clearly communicating who you are, why you do what you do and who you serve. And so if you can really nail that communication piece, you should start to see more relevant opportunities in your inbox and you should see an increase in your engagement from the people that you're trying to reach. So I would definitely say step one is to set aside, it's like half a day, set aside half a day to work on the imagery, work on optimizing your profile and make sure that it's the type of impression that you are okay with making. Yeah. Someone could also just hire you, right? I'm looking at some of the services you offer. It seems like you can bring a lot of value to people. Yeah. So I used to be a lot more gentle about it. I used to be like, you know, like, do you? And as long as it reflects <laughs> your personality, I'm like, now you got to do this. I'm really more of a coach because I think that's what a lot of people need sometimes is somebody that can kind of walk you through the process and help you not only figure out how to change your profile, but also why it matters. Because I love to empower people so that they understand like, okay, this photo clearly communicates this. And so we'll walk through and I'll give you my honest take on what your prospect might be thinking when they look at your profile. And then we work backwards and make sure that it's prospect facing. And most people, that's their biggest mistake. That's one of the questions that I get all the time. What's the number one mistake that people make on LinkedIn is that their profile is like their dating profile. Like you're not on Tinder. It's not you <laughs> with a fish, right? Like it's supposed to be for the person. So when you are on LinkedIn, what's going through that person's brain? Like for me, I hate my smile. I hate it. But I have this photo of me, open body language, smiling, look approachable, where most people, especially when they get like kind of up there in their careers, they have this more serious arms crossed. Oh, and like, the arms. Yeah. And that's great. Maybe if you're doing like a talk where you need to have that air of this impressive biography. But that's not what you should be doing on LinkedIn. On LinkedIn, it's your introduction to the person. So again, if you're imagining yourself at a networking event, who are you going to approach? The guy that has like a shadow on top of his face and his arms crossed? Or the person that's like laughing and smiling and looks like they're not going to bite your head off? These little things make such a huge difference for my clients. And so, and I get it too. Jeez, I, I need to change my photo like now. Oh no, did I just <laughs> describe you? I'm not smiling in my picture. Oh no. Like the thing is that there's always there's a place for that, right? Like I have headshots that are like that. And certainly like there's stages that you want to be on where you want to lead with like, this is my experience. This is where I work so that people know that you are competent. But with LinkedIn, just think of it as like a handshake because you can get into the competence piece, but do that later on. 
And even when it comes to your about description, I always tell people, sorry, the Canadian came out there with the about. It boots. Oh, I love it. I love that. I love that. It I, I went to college with a bunch of Canadians. I miss okay. them. Okay. I didn't notice that I was as Canadian as I am until I started having U.S. friends and they always give me grief whenever I'm talking about the about description. Let's take a boot. Maple syrup. But that's why you start with that with like your career story. So how you got started, like your aha moment. Why exactly do you do what you do? Because we like stories as humans we're attracted to stories and we're attracted to that person like if Sergio becomes a doctor and I asked him like oh why do you do what you do and one is like oh I wanted to get a yacht and the other answer is like I was sick as a child and I was so overwhelmed by the care that I got when I was in the hospital that I wanted to dedicate my life to taking care of other people one's going to give you goosebumps the other one's going to make you go like "Mm." and even if it is true like one of the drivers was income there's still another reason, right? There's still another reason why you chose that particular field that you're in. And so you start with creating that emotional connection with the person. And then you go into your services, what you offer, you can talk about your skills if you're trying to find a job. But until you give people an understanding of why you do what you do, they're not going to care about what you have to offer. Let's pivot into the content. We got the brand. We got our profile looking up to snuff. Sergio's not mean mugging people. He looks friendly. I think he's but, changing his profile photo right and now. He's doing it right <laughs> now. Well, I mean, I have like a smirk. I'm not. He's going to have a cheese. You need, that, you need that big old smile, man. But anyway, so. I'll consider it. <laughs> we're trying to make content. And like a lot of people that have tried LinkedIn for, you know, a couple months, they're putting out these posts and they're just not hitting the mark. I mean, when we started on LinkedIn, we're relatively new to LinkedIn, putting content. I mean, I think I got a like, maybe two likes here and there, but it was like very consistent, very consistent. One like, two like, and you're like, why am I doing this? And I actually, I think I tried LinkedIn many years ago, maybe three or four years ago. I might've tried it. And I tried for a little while. I was like, this doesn't work. This is stupid. And then I was like, I'm not going back on it. And then Sergio, to his credit, was the one that said, no, man, you got this wrong. You got to relook at this. And so we're starting to see some progress, but from the expert, what do you do when you're making this content and you think it's so great and there's nothing, you hear a pin yeah. drop. So the first thing is, is that I started there. Like there was a time when I would create content on LinkedIn and whether you're a good writer or not, and I was traditionally like classically trained in terms of writing. I went to university, I did six years in university. And so I learned a lot about essay writing and I always got A's and all of that stuff. And I tried to take some of those skills onto LinkedIn and they bombed. So if you are not gaining traction, first of all, know that it's not about your writing skills. Writing for like an academic paper or writing off of social media versus writing for social media is a totally different ball game. So that's the first thing. Now, in terms of creating content, here's a secret formula. You start with the what. So the what is your story. Here's an example. I did a TEDx audition and bombed it. I got on stage and I couldn't remember my name. It was the first time I ever had stage fright to the point where I felt like the whole building was on fire and I wanted to escape. And the problem was I was so confident going in, but it's a weird setup. I don't know if you guys have done an audition, but you have like the committee that's there and and then you've got these spotlights on you. You're on the stage and it's just very different than being a speaker. Like even right now, I can see your body language to tell if I'm 
being an idiot or not, right? And we don't realize how much we rely on other people's expressions and body language in conversation. Anyways, I ended up completely bombing this TEDx audition. So that would be the story, right? That's the what. And then the so what is the lesson that you learn from the story. For me, it was, okay, I failed this thing, but this is going to be my prologue to the story, not the final chapter. I'm going to use this and say, I'm going to commit to sucking at something new and let me figure out how I can get back on stage. That's the lesson learned. That's the so what. And then the last part is the now what. And the now what is a call to action. And this is critical for the LinkedIn algorithm, what they're doing. I mean, what is LinkedIn trying to do? LinkedIn is trying to do two things right now. They're trying to keep people on the platform and they're trying to increase their engagement levels because the problem with LinkedIn is that it's a very passive platform, especially when you compare it to places like Facebook and Instagram, TikTok, all these other places where people are commenting, sharing more than they are on LinkedIn. Okay. So how do you do that? How do you work with LinkedIn's goals as a company? Will you invite conversation? And so that's where the call to action comes from. Sure. I mean, you can say, click on this link and whatever, and that works too. But the best way to do it is to invite conversation. In a post like that, my call to action might be, tell me about a time when you've experienced stage fright. How did you deal with it? Did you ever go back on stage again? And so it's an open-ended, not a yes or no question but it invites conversation where people can share their own experiences on that post. Posts like that does really, really well because it's including all three elements, but most importantly, it's conversational. I'm going to assume, and I haven't seen any of your posts, but most people do the so what. They start with the lessons. Here's how you can be more productive during your workday. And my thought going into this blindly is, Lee, I don't know you. You don't know me. Who are you to tell me that I'm not already productive? Because even though people are receptive through proper storytelling, if you don't, I call it covering your writing in strawberry jelly, which is sweetening it with storytelling, putting some skin in the game, I'm not listening to what you have to say. There's enough experts out here. I need to know that you understand me because that's the real test of good storytelling. It's not if the person believes your story, it's if the person can see themselves in your story. And so that story about me failing on stage, I don't know if it's ever happened to you guys, but most people can relate to a feeling of being really nervous before a presentation or being scared of presenting at all. And so it's not the story, it's you seeing yourself in my story and then me inviting you to share your own story. It goes back to vulnerability, like you were talking about earlier also. Yeah. Within the post. Relatability too. Yeah. Yeah. So that would be my first tip is to always make sure that if you are going to share lessons or you're going to share tips or tricks, you could have the most important message in the world. But if you're spoon feeding people and it's like a pill and you're forcing it down, people like, (laughs) take it. It's good for you. It could be the best pill in the world for them. It could save their life, but they're not going to take that pill. Unless I always say strawberry jelly, because when I was younger, I wouldn't take pills. I couldn't swallow pills. Really embarrassing. But my mom used to put in strawberry jelly and then she'd spoon feed it to me. (laughs) embarrassing but that is the case for most people we need that strawberry jelly in order for the message to stick that would be the first thing that i would say when it comes to creating content on linkedin but also the trend is actually not the linkedin feed and this is across platforms that more and more people are posting outside of the feed they're looking for more conversational content than the story kind of and then you can respond onto it and part of that i think is with the pandemic people are 
craving that human interaction. They don't have their office mates anymore. A lot of times they're just hanging out. I've got my two dogs and that's pretty much it during my workday. So I kind of feel like a lunatic sometimes. That's where things like LinkedIn stories and polls come into play. So those are two things that I think that people should pay attention to. Most importantly, LinkedIn stories. So LinkedIn stories work very similarly to Instagram stories or stories on other platforms. They're 20 seconds each. You create a photo or a video. It lasts for 24 hours. But there's a couple benefits of it. Number one is that, Lee, you're probably a pretty busy guy. You shouldn't be going and creating a super long post about something that might not be relevant to your audience. But what you can do is you can create a LinkedIn story, a video talking about that topic in 20 seconds and then gauge the interest from that. So it's yeah. testing the ideas just like you would with software, you're beta testing it before mm-hmm. you commit to creating the bigger piece. So that's the first benefit It's just from an experimental standpoint, it's a great first step. The other thing is that it invites conversation. So I don't know about anybody else, but like, I'm super awkward. Okay. I'm really, really, it's a weird I thing. Don't because see like, it. I'm not I getting don't, that vibe no, at all. I'm so, so I'm very good at like forming. <laughs> and so just like I was when I was younger, like everybody thought I was mute until I got on stage and then I would crush it at these public speaking events. And mm. everyone was like, she talks like what? <laughs> but it's still like that to this day. And to the point where Some people actually think that I'm rude or snobby or something like that because I am so socially awkward that I'm great on stage. But then I get off stage and people are like, oh, I really liked your presentation. I'm like, I don't know where to go from there. I actually had agoraphobia. That's a whole different conversation. But Wait, what's agoraphobia? Agoraphobia is where you are afraid of crowds and public spaces. So I had it for a year and a half where I was battling agoraphobia. Couldn't leave my house. And went from that to being an international speaker. So even Mm. though I speak now, I still carry a lot of that anxiety with me. One of the things that's really awkward for me is that sometimes I'm doing this podcast with you guys and somebody that I don't know might reach out and say like, oh, I listened to you on the podcast. And then I'm going to be like, thanks so much. And then I don't know where to go from there when we're both just like... (laughs) right? Where do we go? And LinkedIn stories are great because you can share stories about, you know, I've got a blank wall in my office and maybe I could ask, what should I put on my wall? I'm thinking between this piece of art or this piece of art. And I can ask that question and that brand new connection can give their opinion. And now we've broken the ice. Now we have something to talk about, right? And I think that works for everybody, whether you're socially awkward or not. Having those either new connections or people that you haven't talked to in a while, it's a great way to stay top of mind. You can also post like six stories in a day and nobody's going to bat an eye. But if you were to do the same in your feed, people will be like, can you get another hobby? This is really, it's too much, right? And so there's a lot of benefits there. But I think that conversational content is really, really popular right now. What's the engagement like with stories? So here's the problem with stories. Not so much for maybe you guys, but for me, On LinkedIn, you're capped at 30,000 connections. You can have unlimited followers, but it's set at 30,000 connections. So I have a lot more followers than I do connections. Mm -hmm. My followers can't respond to my LinkedIn stories. Only my connections can. That's the biggest issue right now. Sometimes people will send me in-mails and I'm like, oh my God, you're wasting money on telling me how you take your coffee, but okay. In terms of engagement, it really depends on what you're posting. I see a lot of people that are doing it and making it very promotional and spammy. And that's not great. But like, if you can use it to tell stories, like the other day I had, I kid you not, a bat somehow flew into our house. And I thought my husband was messing with me. He trapped it in my office. And 
he had a broom and he's trying to get the bat down. It was just like a whole ordeal. And so I posted that as a LinkedIn story. Of course, something like that is going to open up a lot of conversations. So I think that if you can make it feel like the person sitting right next to you or right across from you during your work day, it's going to go much better than if you, again, are just sharing the so what. Here are my top five productivity tips. LinkedIn stories, the reason that they exist is because people are craving that one-on-one personal feeling content. Yeah, that makes sense. I want to pivot a little bit. So something that I think is important to your story is, and I didn't know until I read up on you a little bit, is you're biracial. I would not have guessed it. Yeah, most people wouldn't. I'm in disguise. (laughs) I'm biracial myself. So I thought this was pretty cool. Like you have a white mom and a Caribbean dad. Talk to us a little bit about that and your identity. Um, I have my own struggles with that. So would love to hear a little bit more about that. Yeah. The thing is too, is I'm biracial, but then my dad was also from Trinidad. So I'm a daughter of an immigrant. So it's like multi-layered and it makes things really complex, especially when you look like me. Like I take after my mom, obviously much more than my dad. Genetics are crazy. But I remember growing up when you're younger, you just kind of want to fit in. And especially me looking the way that I do, people just assumed that I was white. And so when they realized that my dad was black, it was always like, what? I remember when I was eight years old, I went over to a friend's house and I was sitting there and the dad, like it was a commercial and it was like a black family that came on the TV. And the dad was basically saying, if I ever saw a black person on my property, I would kill them. And I'm sitting there literally like on the ground, I'm eight years old and I just start crying. Like I'm terrified. And he goes to the bathroom. I run home And like, I just remember sobbing to my parents. That was the first moment for me that I felt like I needed to hide who I was because it wasn't safe for me and it wasn't safe for my family. It was a really weird way to grow up. I think part of it is as you grow up, it's a blessing to not fit in because when you don't fit in, it makes you more empathetic to other people. My husband is half German and half native. So (laughs) I don't know if we ever have kids, (laughs) what they would end up like, but everything Yeah, but it also cuts through a lot of the BS of how things are supposed to be because it's like you've always been the other. And again, when it comes to sexual orientation and all of these other things, I'm so much more, I guess empathetic is the best way to say it because my whole goal, even when I post on LinkedIn, is how can I make things more inclusive? How can I make things better for everybody, not just a particular group? Identity has always been a tricky thing. And it is to this day, like it's something that I still battle with because I grew up as a biracial person kind of in disguise where people felt totally okay saying things that they never should have said in general, but certainly not to me, where it was really, really hard to be proud of who I was when I was constantly seeing the other side of people that were telling me the opposite, that it wasn't okay to be who I was. So it took me a really long time to kind of step into my own. And the reason that I'm so open and raw now is because all those feelings of not being enough and not fitting in was what led to agoraphobia. I was so focused on trying to be perfect and saying the right things and being like, I had to look a certain way and be a certain way that I became terrified of people to the point where I would go outside and have a panic attack and I couldn't leave my house. And so at a certain point, I had to ask myself, do I want to live my life this small, have people's approval, or should I live my life loud and be exactly who I am? That was the shift for me that led me to where I am now, where 
I don't want to say I don't care about what people think, but I don't let people's opinions of me dictate the decisions that I make in my life anymore. Love that. I think it's always funny when someone's being racist and they don't realize what you are. And you're like, oh, gotcha. No, so, you know what? Got you have a very different approach than me. I would, I, would, I always tell people, I'm like, I'm like, by the way, I'm biracial. I just throw it out there, like right off the bat, so that I just don't have to deal with that because it's tough to hear some of those comments sometimes. But yeah, I definitely had those gotcha moments. It's kind of funny sometimes to see people kind of backtrack. Oh, what I meant was <laughs> come from a fine people. <laughs> hey, were the play dates? Did those end? Right. Oh God, this is gonna be terrible as an eight-year-old? It was really scary because I felt like I was worried about my whole family and I just felt like it was something that I needed to hide. But no, I'm at the point now where I feel really proud of my roots and I think that I'm really lucky to have been raised in not just one culture but two cultures and it's so funny. Even to this day, if I'm feeling sick or anything like that, I automatically crave Caribbean food like that's my go-to and my dad also struggled like when he came here because he dealt with racism as soon as he got here he came when he was in his 30s but my dad died at 87 so this was a long time ago and he moved to a town called Petrolia which was like a small town in Ontario after med school so put himself through med school by doing all these odd jobs worked his butt off doing this and then goes to Petrolia tries to open a practice and there's a petition that circulated to get him to not practice because he was a black man. He was the only black doctor in the city. He spent a long time trying to speak French and trying to do all these things. And so he was pretty guarded about his culture. We would ask him things and he'd be like, no. And he was the one that didn't really want to go back to Trinidad during vacations and stuff like that. It wasn't really until he developed Alzheimer's. And once he did that, it kind of removes the ego a bit. And so he craved Caribbean food and he kept talking about how he wanted to go back home. And for him, home was Trinidad. So I think under all of the BS, he loved his country, but it took us a long time to get there. That was good for me to see too, because when he was released from that and he started to embrace his culture, and that kind of gave me the freedom to also be proud of where I come from too. Sorry, that was a very dark story. No, no, I love it. I love it. Thank you for sharing. You're living up to your reputation, Michaela. Yeah. Keeping it real. But let's go on. I want to pivot another direction. You are now an entrepreneur. Going back to talking about being loud and being yourself. As I said in the intro, you had this life that was more, you're in the corner office, you're doing the nine to five, you're working for someone else not really what you wanted to be doing all along. Yeah. And now you've set foot on this entrepreneurial journey. You had nothing to start with from what I understand. And it was rough. And now you are traveling. Well, you were traveling. You were yeah. in demand, the keynote speaker, and you're getting paid for it. So yeah. tell us about this entrepreneurial journey. Yeah, I'm certainly not that person. I'm not a risk taker. I never grew up thinking like, oh, I want to be Steve Jobs and all that. I call myself a reluctant entrepreneur. So hopefully some people can relate to that because I think that sometimes you feel like you don't have a choice, right? Like, I think I was always meant to be an entrepreneur, but I was reluctant because it seemed really scary and it seemed really big. And I didn't think that I would be enough on my own. I started this agency after I think a year or two of me working at my dream job that I talked about on LinkedIn. And I had partnered with my then bosses of that dream job. So the tough thing was, this is what was happening behind the scenes. We were supposed to acquire an existing firm, an existing agency in Ottawa. I was essentially going to look like the president of this new company, but it was an existing company. So it was like already set up, right? It was kind of like the perfect thing for me because I was just like, okay, I was going to 
PR wise be in charge of this organization. And so I write this article called From Penniless to President and talking about how I started on LinkedIn as a job seeker. And now I've got this corner office. I'm going to be president of this company, all this stuff. It ends up going viral. It's picked up by CNBC, CNBC blasts it. Like it's everywhere. And so I'm getting all these congratulations and feeling like on top of the world. My bosses come to me, say the acquisition fell through. We're going to have to start a brand new company and you're going to be in charge of it by yourself. And I've already announced it. I've already put out the press for it. So I was kind of panicked behind the scenes. But at that time, I was still like, okay, well, maybe this will be okay. Because this is exactly what I've always wanted, right? I've always worked for an opportunity exactly like this. The corner office, the title. I had everything that I had worked my entire career for. So I'm like, this could still be a good thing. Within months, I started to feel like, oh my God, I'm trapped into the dream and it's not actually the dream. And my CEO at the time, he would talk and he'd be like, talking about building a business and his whole face would light up. Like, you know, when somebody's passionate and you just see it in their eyes and I would look at him and I'm like, I don't have that spark. I don't have those same feelings. This is the wrong ladder that I'm on. So I ended up going to Costa Rica and did this like zip lining tour. And at the end of the zip lining tour, I did this thing called the Tarzan swing where they strap you in like a harness and then you swing off of a cliff. And I start bawling in the air. There's like two cans flying. I started bawling because I realized that I could not remember the last time that I had genuinely been happy, like smiling, laughing. I couldn't remember the last time that I was myself and not this idea of success that I had created and felt kind of like handcuffed to on LinkedIn. So I went back home, pretty confidently went into the office after a few weeks and said, I can't do this anymore. This is not the dream. I have to walk away from it. Again, not a risk taker. I go into a subway and I struggle when they ask you what you want on your sub, right? And so the idea that I went into any room and said that without even thinking about it, I was like, as cheesy as it sounds, sometimes you're led by something bigger than yourself. And I knew at that time, because I had been doing these workshops with my clients, my clients adored me, but I do these workshops and I felt that spark that my CEO had when he talked about building a business. When I was teaching people how to do something on LinkedIn, I would light up and then I would go back to feeling low and trapped after that was finished. So yeah, so then I wrote an article, it was called A Girl With No Title. That was really, really tough because that's the other side of vulnerability. Vulnerability can be great for business. It can be great for building relationships. But on the other side of that, when you're vulnerable with people, they feel like they know you. Some of these people think that we are best friends and I love that for them, but it can also be terrible because if you make a decision that disappoints them, they feel personally offended by that decision that you've made. And so that was really tough. I had to make that decision, not just for myself, but for millions of people who were going to see that article and read that decision that I made. So most people were really supportive. There were some people that were really disappointed in me. And that's okay. I understand it because those are the people that were seeing my story and they were like, oh, she can do it. I can do it too. And then if I said the dream changed, like, what does that mean for me now? I totally get that. So I've been working on my own. I think it's been about three years that I've been working solo. I was really blessed. I think within the first two weeks, I landed a gig with Crown Plaza and it was a super lucrative uh, contract. And so I've been able to work with these huge brands and more importantly, doing exactly what lights me up pretty much every day of my life. So I feel really, really lucky, but it's been definitely not this like 
I know exactly what I'm going to be when I grow up. If anything, I felt like I can see the dots that connected to me to where I am now, but only looking back, do I understand how I got here? Certainly not in the moment. And I think that overall, people just need to trust your instinct and follow what you're curious about. And that's always kind of what I've done and embrace the consequences sometimes of doing that as well, because it's not all good stuff. Mm -hmm. And one thing I love about the entrepreneurial journey is that you learn so much about yourself over time. And everything about you is just kind of amplified, right? Your strengths, oh my gosh. your weaknesses. Yes. What did you find out about yourself that maybe you didn't know before you started? I mean, I found out that I was a really bad manager. <laughs> that, was, that was a big one. I mean, I felt like I could read. I had read all the business books. So I read all these books on leadership. And I was just like, I'm just going to fall into this naturally. And then you do it. And it's like, oh my God, you don't just have to worry about your emotions, but you have to worry about other people. And the problem with me is that I'm so candid and that's really tough when you're running a startup, right? Like you can't come in and be like, we're going to be out of money at the end of the month. You've got to come in and make everybody feel like everything is perfectly fine. It's really hard to do that. And so that was a huge learning curve for me to figure out how to be a manager and something that I'm still working on to this day. I have like VAs and contractors that I've worked with and that's all been really, really great. But it definitely didn't come naturally to me at all. I think that you're right. It, it's like the worst and best therapy is being an entrepreneur because you no longer have the ability to say, well, I didn't do well on this because Linda didn't pull their part or like, I'm not excelling. I'm not shining because Bob, my manager is a terrible manager. Yeah. We don't realize until you're in that position where you're super vulnerable that we rely on those excuses so oh, much. Yeah. <laughs> and so everything that I do, when I fail, it's my fault. The other side of it is when you succeed, there is no greater feeling than those wins when you are an entrepreneur. Like when I landed Walmart as a client, I was like, I can die happy. I'm good because it's one of those things that you just think that you can't do. And to this day, I still have like when I send proposals to clients, it will take me an hour. I'm like pacing back and forth. I can't send them that quote. Mm -hmm. Even when they put the budget in like the yeah. form, I'm like, I cannot write that number. And then when you do it, it's just, there's no greater feeling. So it is the most wonderful and terrible the worst and best thing that I've ever done in my life is becoming an entrepreneur because there are just so many highs and lows, but luckily the high is just overshadow the lows by like a million, I think. Yeah. Wonderfully said. That totally resonates with everything you said. I'm like, yes, 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 yes. That's huge. If people want to work with you, they want to find out how can I get my LinkedIn up to snuff? How can I grow my business? How can I grow my personal brand? How can they do that? I mean, there's a few ways. Number one, find me on LinkedIn. Definitely send me a message. If you can like send me a question or something, because again, I'm awkward. Give me a, like an opening, like an icebreaker question or something. If you send a connection request so we can really get to know each other, because I like to get to know people on a human level. So that would be the first way. You can definitely, like, if you're looking for LinkedIn tips, tricks, and strategies, you can find me. Very confusing. It's also Michaela Alexis on LinkedIn, my company page, but it should have like a little pink logo. So you know that it's a company page. I also have, like you mentioned before, two official LinkedIn learning courses that are out. One is called Grow Your Business with LinkedIn Pages. That's available. You can just search it on LinkedIn. And the newest one actually just came out like a week ago is called Marketing on LinkedIn. So if you're a beginner, it's my 
first and only beginner LinkedIn course. And it might be great for your audience too, because it's built for entrepreneurs like me, where you have a personal brand, but you also have a business that you're running. Mm -hmm. And then you can also find me at mickalexis.com and just reach out to me there. We've loved having you on the show. You've been an amazing guest. I want to close off with a question. We're going to send this one off with your response. Being in business now, definitely, like we said, it tests everything about you. And one thing I've noticed about you, and I've read a lot about you, is you have this unique gift to take the tough times in your life and turn them into a positive. You didn't mention this, but on your TEDx that you bombed, you turned that into a positive. They actually contacted you and wanted to work with you. You've done that in your entrepreneurial journey. You've done that just throughout your life. Mm -hmm. So when you are at your lowest low, when people are at their lowest lows, what do you think it takes to turn that around and turn it into the worst thing and turn it into the best thing ever? I used to, when people would approach me and they would say, I lost my job or like my business failed or something like that. I would say like, oh, I'm so sorry that that happened to you. And now knowing what I know now, I think that magical things can happen from rock bottom because sometimes we get so complacent with life. And so sometimes you work a job where you're like, it's good. Oh, and then you have a bad day, but then something okay happens and you're like, I can keep surviving. And some people do that for their entire lives. And those are the people that we should really feel sorry for because they never experience anything other than mediocrity. I think for people that lose their jobs or they have a business that doesn't work out and they need to start something new, those places where your back is against the wall, that's where everything changed for me. My life was okay for over a decade and I just kind of was going through the motions of life and it wasn't until I was laid off a month away from my 30th birthday was faced with being broke and not being able to pay my rent and had to ask my parents for money that I decided to stop playing by the rules, stop believing that there's a blueprint for life and really carve my own path. And so if you're in that space, use that opportunity to have the courage to try something new, try something different when everything else isn't working. I think that we've got to stop fearing the rock bottom because we're going to face it. It's inevitable in life, but it's how can you take those moments and turn them into something new? I have this quote on my wall that says, you are the tide, because I wrote an article a few years ago about changing your life. The quote is, stop waiting for the tide to change. You are the tide. You have everything that you need right now to change the direction of your life. At some point, you need to decide whether to swim aimlessly, hoping for the best, or strap on a life jacket and swim like hell towards the shoreline. And I think that's true for everybody. We always have that decision to change the course of our life. Perfect. You've been listening to the Free Retiree Show. So long for now. Securities offered through Securities America Incorporated, member FINRA, www.finra.org, SIPC, www.sipc.org, a separate entity. Lee Michael Murphy is licensed for the California Department of Insurance, license 0H18660. Lee Michael Murphy is a investment advisor representative with Securities America Advisors, a registered investment advisor. The Free Retiree, Securities America Advisors, and Securities America Incorporated are separate entities. 
Career Advisor Sergio Patterson, Attorney Matt McElroy are not affiliated with Securities American Advisors or Securities American Incorporated. Securities American Advisors, Securities American Incorporated, and its representatives do not provide tax or legal advice. Therefore, it's important to coordinate with your tax or legal advisor regarding your specific situation. The content heard in this podcast is not intended to be tax investment or legal advice and is intended as general guidance only. You should contact your own tax advisor, financial advisor, or attorney to answer questions about your specific situation or needs before acting upon this information. Third-party source information or comments are not verified, may not be accurate, and are not necessarily representative of all client or audience experience. A portion of this event was paid by a third party. The opinions of career advisor Sergio Patterson do not reflect the opinions of Facebook, Inc. The opinions of attorney Matt McElroy do not reflect the opinions of Castaneda and company.